Welcome to the Video Insiders Podcast. I'm Carlos Pacheco. And I'm Tom Martin. And we are two behind-the-scenes, opinionated channel managers, channel strategists, the guys who pull all the levers. <laughs> I'm trying to be creative there. <laughs> <laughs> And we're here every week, uh, no, sorry, every other week, uh, sending you our insights and thoughts of what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, and I've got a feeling that this week there's going to be a third grizzled and opinionated YouTube <laughs> behind the scenes expert that is going to be joining us. Am I right in thinking that, Carlos? Yes, yes. We have somebody I've looked up to for many, many years, Matt Gillen of Little Monster Media. He's been somebody that I've been following for many years throughout his career. But what I love about him is that he really dives into the data and 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 so the algorithm as opposed to like the, the frontline tactics that many other YouTube online strategists uh, focus on. So that's the part that really uh, I've always appreciated more of him. And I remember when he launched Little Monster Media, I was like, yes, this is the type of cert- business that I love that, you know, can help you know, people with YouTube channels and, you know, because I'm talking to creators on a regular basis, they've focused for many years on making content and they don't, they got lucky. They, and, I, and I'm not going to say they're not talented, but they also got lucky in terms of like they got built momentum and then they never really looked at the analytics or what's causing uh, the deep dive into what's causing the, the views. And um, that's a very much needed now. There's a, a thousand thousands of channels out there that need support yeah his articles that you know first appeared on tube filter way back in the day i don't know what we're talking about here 2013 2014 mm-hmm. were kind of like the articles that everyone looked to actually maybe a bit later than that they were the kind of the events to look forward to at, at events like vidcon and uh you know matt's rightly so got got a fantastic reputation in the industry so like you looked up to his work for a long long time so really interested to hear what he had to say in this interview where we let carlos loose on his own uh with a guest (laughs) Uh, all right so before we get to that let's thank our lovely sponsor tubebuddy which is the ultimate tool for creators to streamline their daily workflow on youtube allowing for more time to make great content for brands to help reduce busy work and focus on what matters growing your channel and for networks who are setting up or who want to give their partners the tools to success and an incentive to have them join your network and if for some reason you're not already using tubebuddy you can get an exclusive multi-channel discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash tubebuddy Thank you, too, buddy. Thank you, too, buddy. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on a call today, on a podcast. Sorry, I'm used to calls. How's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be on. I've been uh, you know, a fan of you guys both and of the podcast you guys are putting out there. So it's uh, exciting to, to be on. Awesome. Oh, wow. That's that's really weird to hear because um, if you would have told me a couple years ago that we'd be talking, I'd be like, no effing way. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been a fan ever since you got into the space when you were like giving out some awesome insights that 
for me really spoke to me. Obviously, it's an honor for me to sort of have you on the show. Thank you. I'm not going to get into the whole like backstory of how you got to be this awesome ad- advisor that essentially talks about like the the algorithm, but like because you do have this awesome video on Little Monster Media that you know you have this life story essentially. <laughs> so anybody who really wants to sort of you know see you know where you came from, that's it's that's where they'll find it. But I've noticed that in the last year where, you know, you've brought little monster media a little bit more into the forefront with videos and you're jumping into the scene where there's a lot of YouTube experts out there, some a lot more flashier and louder than others. (laughs) I I personally have, you know, those that I like, those that I've been watching for years and some that I don't, don't for personal reasons, but um, I know what makes you different, but. How are you making this different than the other ones? Yeah, um, that's a a very good question. I would say (laughs) um, kind of first and foremost, um, one of the reasons why I ultimately decided to start the YouTube channel is because I felt like a serious understanding of audience development wasn't being um, fulfilled on YouTube, right? Where there's a lot of the same videos, a lot of the same like tactics to get people to view your videos. And it just felt like there was something missing, which kind of goes to the same reason why we started little monster, uh, in the terms of like serious data analysis and understanding how the platform works and why it works. Cause you know, I'd see these videos from people I'd never met, Right. Like none of the, you know, standard YouTube experts would get hundreds of thousands of views. And it would be like, you know, how to get a thousand views a day, you know, (laughs) on YouTube. And you watch the video and it's like eight minutes of someone being like, oh, I'm totally going to tell you how to do it. It's so (laughs) mind blowing. And like at the end of the video, they're like, oh, and like post daily and make good thumbnails. Bye. (laughs) Right. Or it's like, go on this person's video and comment and comment on a thousand videos a day. And it's just like, oh, my God, what is being put out there? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is kind of why I started doing these reports in the first place um, is YouTube just hadn't talked about how to be successful on their platform. Right. In any sort of like meaningful way. And so what I did was I wrote the articles and did the reports that I wanted to see. And it just felt like this should be out there and be public. And so, you know, in terms of how we're different, I would say I probably put too much emphasis on the data and information and not enough emphasis on like the, as you stated, the flash of it, Um, Mm -hmm. which is a little weird for me because like, (laughs) I feel like when I give presentations, like I just go for it. Right. And you can like feel the excitement and I don't hold back and that kind of stuff. And then like the moment I turn the camera on, it's like, hello, my name is Matt Gielen. Um, you know, uh, average view duration. These are the things that go into it and (laughs) why it's important. And like, you know, looking back at like my earlier videos, I was like, you know, Jesus, man, they are right. This is super boring. And so like, I've had to really kind of experience, um, or hone the skill set of you know, being an on-camera presenter as opposed to a live presenter. Um, so, you know, I don't know how how to articulate it other than that. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't have as uh, haven't been as introspective 
on myself in terms of the difference. Um, but I think that's the goal. And, and one of the ways in which that's expressed, and we're going to do a lot more of this in the new year, is kind of the deep dives that we do with creators that we do as a mm-hmm. service. I'm going to do more of that on the channel because we started out with that, right? And like mm-hmm. my perception of success is distorted, I realized, because like <laughs> we had like 500 subscribers and these videos would do like 1,500 views, right? Yeah. And I was like, that's not good. I want tens of thousands of views, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. And because like that's what I'm used to dealing with and not taking into account like, dude, you launched this channel like eight weeks ago, it takes time, which is advice I would give to creators that came to me that were like, oh, I just started this channel. Why don't I have 10,000 views? It's like, chill, bro. (laughs) You kind (laughs) of worried this. (laughs) And so like, I stopped doing them. And I was like, looking back on them now, it's like, those are some of our most successful and requested videos. And so it's like, yeah, of course, that's what's not happening on YouTube. And in terms of like other YouTube experts, like doing that level of deep dive where you're seeing that one hour cons- consultation on a report that took, you know, four or five, six hours to put together, looking at their analytics, right? Like that was the main content I started the channel with and kind of ran away from it pretty quickly. And so we want to get back to doing that and being a real differentiator uh, on our little monster channel, uh, as opposed to some of the other stuff that's out there. Not that other YouTube experts can't do it, but it is a big lift, right? You're talking yep. uh, a pretty fair amount of time finding creators, interesting creators that are willing to show their analytics and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be fun in 2020. Yeah. I would say that's, that's, that's the reason why I've always sort of like appreciated your content. And, you know, I lived for those reports you used to pu- publish back in the day. I actually really like the old boring videos <laughs> and, you know, like I have seen a quite an evolution into the Matt Tuber, uh, version. Um, and it's to me, to me, Again, not that you're not doing it right. It's just to me, it just feels awkward. (laughs) (laughs) But that's me. But that's me. Like, you know, again, and uh, that's where you sort of like you you, you sort of branch out. Like you're trying to entertain as much as, you know, give information. And that's to me, that's the sort of difference here. And that's some of the creators have. And again, to me, the, the reasons that I find you're different and I appreciate you more is because you do speak a little bit more of my language, even though we all get the the surface level stuff. It's the deep stuff that really matters and the stuff that like for me, when I'm working with bigger companies, like, you know, that's the stuff I show them and, and, and they're interested in, in looking at as opposed to like, Oh, we need to do thumbnails. So um, yeah, that's, that's my perception in general. Okay. That is, that is a, a- perfectly fair critique um mm-hmm. because i am uncomfortable with it right it's like <laughs> so am i <laughs> yeah it's like this information is is so good and we have such a good track record of it it's like why do i also have to do this performance piece yeah um but uh you know the the general audience out there um wants to be entertained while they're getting this information so yep um, you know, sometimes you got to make sacrifices and I'm glad my discomfort with it is at least being read by you, <laughs> right? Because it is, you gotta, you gotta be on, you gotta have energy. Yeah. And there's a lot of days where it's like three in the afternoon. I know I got to record it. I've been mm-hmm. working all day, you know, and it's just like, all right, got to put on the Wu-Tang, get fired up, right? You know, dance yeah. around the office a little bit. Um, yeah. so it is what it is. <laughs> I want, I want the, uh, outtakes of that one. 
Uh, well, I just recorded um, yesterday afternoon. I recorded um, a breakdown of Susan Wachsicki 60 Minutes interview and what it Ooh. means for creators. And it was, without a doubt, by far, by orders of magnitude, the most times I've ever had to tell my editor, don't include that. <laughs> there, there were so many instances of being like, and so if you're a white nationalist, shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> Sorry if uh, this is a non-cursing podcast, but uh, you, no, it's all good. you knew what you were signing up for. Exactly, exactly. All right. Let's ask a question. What do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to building an audience on YouTube? The biggest misconception, um, I mean, it kind of depends on who you're talking to, mm-hmm. but I think the, the biggest misconception is that the algorithm or YouTube plays favorites, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's some kind of like magic ingredient to get the algorithm to begin like serving your videos more. Um, it's a combination of so many factors and it is, it is work. It is a grind. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you just got to put in the time, but also I would say it's in large part, just people's expectations, right? You know, I, I confronted this, you know, myself, as, as I mentioned kind of early on expecting to get tremendous amounts of views, um, without having a significant audience, already either on the YouTube platform or on another platform. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's kind of the biggest one is like just managing expectations of people. And sometimes it's just a matter of how many people would just be interested in this topic or vertical in general, right? Like, you know, I talk to automotive channels on, you know, a, a regular basis and there's just not that many available views in that vertical, even though there are many, many people interested in it. And, you have to think about the audience, right? The audience is generally an older male audience and that audience isn't spending as much time as like seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds watching YouTube content. So there's just so many views available that sometimes you just kind of hit, hit a plateau and it's because your content is being put in front of just about everyone interested in that. Exactly. And my, sort of like my little addition to that is for me, more doesn't always equal better, you know, and and you said it right when it comes, it all depends on the channel, certain channels, certain verticals don't necessarily need to have a million views to be successful. Yeah. You know, it all depends on what your business case is in the, in the space. Right. So 100%. there's definitely a lot of, a lot of uh, misconceptions in that space. Cause again, I always sort of show the example of one of my clients that it does wealth management content and it's like he gets ten thousand views he's ecstatic like he loves Uh it right and he doesn't need to do a million views he has but it's still you know the other day when his videos did a little bit less he was like i don't care it's it's still like super relevant and the audience is who i'm talking to so that's essentially my take on that no enough about me (laughs) Um, (laughs) so this one's less of a question and it was inspired by your recent video with a a nice thumbnail that says, uh, secret data worksheet. It's your, Mm. you know, and you were talking about COPPA and talking about, no, you weren't talking about COPPA, but I, I'm bringing into, into COPPA. You're talking about the the fact that like 90 to 95% of recommendation comes from viewer watch history. Right. And with COPPA rules basically coming down. That essentially eliminates that, eliminates search history, you know, from anybody that's considered underage and a content from that. Everybody's sort of in the idea that, you know, this will mean that CPMs are going to drop. 
and again, this is, you know, I have a hard time not inserting my anecdotes, but I feel like it's essentially going to turn kids content into like almost like a different YouTube and it's going to be much more curated like Netflix. What's your take on the whole COPPA situation and how that's going to shift how kids content is going to be recommended? Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a big Um, one. (laughs) Yeah. I don't expect like, and honestly, nobody has an answer. I literally had a meeting with a, a TV network this morning and they're like looking at me with like, we have no idea what's going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, the scariest thing is that I don't think YouTube has any idea what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, they just yeah. shifted over to like beta in part and like everything broke. Um, wow. Which tends to happen every time YouTube makes a shift. They're like, oh, hey, we broke everything. And then, you know, a couple of days later, it's fixed. But for a couple of days, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think with this shift, it's going to be broken for quite some time. That said, From an algorithmic standpoint, the candidate generation filter is the one that relies most on watch history or exclusively basically on watch history. Other Mm -hmm. factors as well and other policy layer stuff as well. But like that's where the main part is, right? So when someone Mm -hmm. comes to YouTube and a bunch of recommendations are made to them, the videos go from the corpus, which is the library of billions of YouTube videos millions of those videos are sent to the candidate generation filter. The millions of videos are ones that are worth this potential viewer's time at all, right? Mm. Because of the billions of videos, right? There's, you know, billions of them that just like, they're just never going to recommend to anyone for any number of reasons. So millions get passed to the candidate generation filter and the candidate generation filter passes hundreds of videos onto the ranking filter. So what the removal of like watch history and search history and demographic information from kids viewers does is it basically removes that filter. Uh, I don't know what adjustments they're making. They haven't said anything about it. They never really get that granular on a public release perspective that tends to come out in white papers that are presented at conferences. So whether they will or won't release a white paper on what they've done in the kid space, um, I would imagine they will because they're probably doing some pretty unique engineering around it, but it might not be for several years. But regardless, mm-hmm. hundreds of videos get passed on the ranking filter and the ranking filter is where video specific metrics get taken into account. And so what we'll see, I think, is probably a lot of richer getting richer <laughs> and poor disappearing from the face of the earth in terms of just like audience and reach and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because the videos that would appear high in a ranking filter um, are going to be videos with outstanding metrics. Um, and so I think we'll see a lot of that. Um, my guess is that they're probably going to amp up the amount of quote unquote diversification that they do. So they released another white paper that talked about how they suggest a diverse set of content to someone. Now that doesn't mean like diverse viewpoints. It means different topics uh, and different channels all within that viewer's interest, right? So Mm. they'll say people that really like Coco Melon also really like Little Baby Bum. So, um, you know, if uh, someone's watching Coco Melon, let's suggest Little Baby Bum so that it's not just Coco Melon, Coco Melon, Coco Melon. However, the the problem becomes people are more likely to click on a Cocomelon video if they're watching a Cocomelon video, which means those videos have higher click-through rates, which means they're more likely to be served, and so on and so forth. But with an increase in diversification policy, that might mean that 
more videos have more of a chance. That said, right, that's all going to be done with a ton of testing and over time. So immediately out of the gate, we're going to have some, I think, you know, oh, look, Coco Melon's now doing 10 billion monthly views or something mm-hmm. stupid, right? Uh, and you have to add to that that they're not going to show. My guess um, and, and is going to be that they're just not going to show uh, and they may have stated as much videos that haven't been manually reviewed to kids, right? It's just not going to happen um, mm. based on, you know, so many things. And so there's millions and millions and millions of videos that are probably perfectly good for kids that are aimed at kids that just are going to be in the back of the queue, right? Mm. And they have been manually reviewed, so they ain't going to be served. It's going to, it's going to suck. Uh, it's going to be harder for, uh, smaller channels to break through, uh, would be my hi- hypothesis mm. at the very least in the short term. And by that, I mean 90 to 180 days as they, you know, figure out what the hell is, uh, going on. And then from a CPM standpoint, yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone's like predicting that it's like, Oh no, it'll be fine. <laughs> Cause I think even <laughs> YouTube says like, no, you're all screwed. Right. Yeah. And then they were like, we're going to open up this teeny tiny fund of like 33 million. You know what we spend on coffee in a month here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to help creators, yeah. uh, which is like, oh, okay, great. Thanks. I guess. So no, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a dark time. People are going to, mm. you know, write about it and, and think about it for years to come. And, uh, out of those dark times come opportunities though. So yeah, my suggestion for entrepreneurs in, in this space is to, you know, think about how you can uh, build something out of the ashes of this uh, fiasco, right? We rode the yeah. gravy train for years, dodging the law, and that gravy train's coming to an end, right? Yeah. So we'll see. I always sort of bring the, the anecdote of like when I was working for a big a TV production company and they were, had a kids department, and they were, I would show them, you know, what's happening on YouTube and be like, but but how the hell did they get away with that? You know, because they were following copper rules. They couldn't do anything, right? So especially selling to net TV networks. And I do have a little bit of a, I don't know, sort of like a glimmer of hope that just contextual uh, advertising might be, you know, might still be a gravy train. I mean, I, I still always bring the anecdote of YouTube f- as a media buyer, when I was buying ads, is YouTube was the bottom of the barrel. And to, to be honest, it still is for a lot of media buyers. They'll t- call CNN first before they call YouTube or they, they, they put money on YouTube. And mm-hmm. what often happens is those websites, those networks that sell those websites, they run out of inventory because obviously their video players suck, but you know there's not a lot of people <laughs> watching. And they were not inventory pretty quickly, right? So what what ends up happening is people put their ads on on YouTube. So my point here is that the CPMs on those sites are astronomical, right? They're yeah. like forty dollars, fifty dollars CPMs, and because they're contextual and they're super, you know what you're getting. And if YouTube ever gets that sort of type of like, hey, we fully control the content, you know, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Brands are going to pay for that. So that's the part that I'm sort of a little, I mean, maybe 1% hopeful there. Yeah. Well, I, I said as much in my FTC video um, that uh, I did uh, back when it was first announced. Like, I think this is going to be a huge opportunity once we get through the short-term pain um in no small part because you're talking about a company with the largest sales force in the world a highly sought after audience 
right? And um, contextual advertising is still very, very good. Mm -hmm. It also means that the kids app is now monetizable. Like part of the reason it wasn't monetizable before is because they knew they were violating Kava. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. It'll it'll also mean that like, you're not getting like, you know, Chevy and Toyota ads on little baby bum. Cause they're like, Oh, 35 year olds watching this. And it's like, come on. Mm. So I think ultimately it's a very, very good thing. Um, I think there's definitely going to be some short term pain for the kids space. I think, a lot of the videos from creators that are like, yeah, I talk about, you know, Marvel. That doesn't mean I'm for kids. Like, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of good consternation around that. I think the idea of adding a third classification option with a mixed audience is also very good, but it's very obvious why YouTube didn't do that because that shifts the burden back onto them. Mm-hmm right in terms of liability where if you say my content is for a mixed audience well then youtube has to determine the age of the viewer watching the video Mm -hmm. and then the liability goes back to them so Mm -hmm. the fact that that option isn't there is very disconcerting par for the course for youtube i mean they got to protect themselves but at the same time like it's not fair to a tremendous amount of creators that make their platform extremely valuable and viable. Um, and they need to figure out how to get it done. I mean, look, yeah, they've got some of the smartest people in the world. Like they better yeah. figure it out because otherwise it's going to be bad for a much larger percentage of people than just kids creators. And it's kind of shady that they didn't do that from the get go scale. Yeah, it's yeah. scale, yeah. but it's also par it's, for the course for YouTube, right? What does YouTube yeah. care about? First and foremost, the audience. Secondly, advertisers, but above both of them is YouTube, you know, mothership. And then yeah. finally, somewhere down the line, it's like creators, you know, the ones that provide yeah. value for your platform. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because um, just as a side note, I got an email from somebody who's working, who's talking to TikTok and TikTok sounds exactly like YouTube was five years ago like they just just want scale but they realized that who the audience is on right now and they're trying their darnest to age up fast yeah. but that's another that's another one <laughs> <laughs> that's another one that's another hole we won't get into anyways that's gone to the next one but 2019 literally felt like a roller coaster it felt like literally every month there was something that would just create chaos in the world of a creator and obviously avoiding the the COPPA discussion, which we just had, like, let's, you know, what are you thinking is going to be like anything that you predict for 2020 in terms of the world of online creators, what's going to change, what's going to evolve. (laughs) It's too (laughs) wide of a question. It's a wide question. (laughs) That's a tough one. Um, So outside of all the COPPA stuff, which is going to have like all sorts of ripple effects and ramifications, Hopefully, we see other platforms presenting opportunities for creators to diversify their revenue streams. Mm. Um, I have something in the works on that front that I can't mm. discuss more than to tease it, but uh, is pretty pretty exciting because um, I think there's some opportunities out there that creators are just missing uh, that won't add too much to their workload, if at all on opportunities just to expand their their reach across platforms. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we see that. Beyond that, like just from a pure YouTube perspective, I think we'll see a year of 
what is probably contraction, right? Mm -hmm. YouTube is not in terms of like scale of audience or anything, but that 60 minutes interview was strictly PR. Yeah. Right. Like that's the reason she did it. Right. Um, Mm. It was basically a 14 minute infomercial about how (laughs) YouTube is like cleaning up its site and its positions on things to, uh, you know, speak to first and foremost ad buyers. Right. Yep. That's who's watching anyways. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speak to parents, right? Yeah. To reshape YouTube's image, but also to show them the scale of the problem that YouTube is up against, right? It's, you know, in the interview, Susan talks about, you know, 500 hours being uploaded to the platform every minute. It would take someone 24 days of doing (laughs) nothing but staying awake and watching YouTube in order to watch all the content uploaded in just one minute, right? Mm-hmm. It would take 30,000 individuals watching every piece of content uploaded just to stay on pace at 500 hours. And we know the volume of content is increasing every day, right? So like, it's it's kind of a, a task that is unbelievably difficult to keep YouTube as a platform as is, right? And so I think what we'll see on YouTube is far more caution and far less openness. And and I mean that not like, oh, they're going to institute policies that are going to be super draconian and that sort of thing. I just think, you know, uh, through a combination of policy and algorithm, they're going to scale back on the controversial aspect of content, put more resources into um, enforcing the policies that they've always had. Um, and I think that's going to have somewhat of a dampening effect on the number of controversies because you're spot on this year was insane, right? <laughs> Every month was a new thing and it wasn't always the same, right? There was no. like deplatforming Crowder, right? As he's yep. like, you know, uh, spouting, uh, homophobic slurs at mm. another creator on the platform. It's like, you mm. can't get any clearer of a violation mm. of your policies, Right. And that was a teeny tiny thing in the grand scheme. They also yeah. like, I think they, um, I think it was this year where they were like demonetizing creators, just talking about, yeah. you know, their different sexuality. And it was like, what the fuck are you idiots <laughs> doing? <laughs> um, and so like, I think they need a recovery year. And I think part of that recovery year is just going to be like, we need time without controversy. And I think that's going to get expressed both algorithmically and policy. Yeah, it feels like it, it actually already feels like there's steps being taken just with like this week's announcement with like they're going to find a way to, you know, to work with, you know, violent video game content and to classify it in a way so that creators who are in that space can make, you know, more, more money and be less demonetized, which to me, I, I love how they spend it uh, as about the creator when you know for a fact that there's, <laughs> you know, big, big meat video game companies out there who need to be in front of these audiences who are like, yeah. what the hell? this is a lot of inventory that would disappear type of situation yeah. but anyways that's but that but in the end it's a great step to me it was like oh at least they're trying because you know they're there are competitors out there waiting to create platforms that do reach, you know, audiences that are more mature. And we're not talking about the X type of mature. We're just talking about people who, who are willing to get content that, you know, speak to them. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a a great prediction for the next year as well as, uh, hopefully, 
a lot more um, value put onto creators as more competitors kind of come into the space. Like YouTube's going to have to start, um, I don't want to say courting creators, but providing more value to them because there are going to be, you know, more and more of these deals that come out like uh, Mixer, right? Mm. Like why are these yeah. huge, massive live streamers signing deals on these other platforms and not YouTube, right? Mm. We're like almost all of this kind of originated, like, you know, between uh, YouTube and Twitch, that's where like, you know, that industry in large part blew up and mm. YouTube has done a very poor job of like keeping that on their platform. Yeah. I love Matt Pat's takes on the, on these things. And he's sometimes, you know, he's oh, yeah. such an insider. He puts such a great perspective. And, you know, from uh, Ninja's perspective, it's like security. It's like the guy does not need to make, you know, to be stressed out about how much money he makes every every couple of months. He's got, he just got a big paycheck of X $20 million. And like, what does he need to think about now? You know, like he just needs to buy, think about streaming. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that that side of the space is is fascinating. Yeah, all he's got to do is focus on entertaining people in the exactly. same way that like that's what YouTube tries to do, right? Entertain people, and when they put all these like hurdles and obstacles and adversity in the way of creators, you prevent them from providing the content that you need to entertain audiences. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I feel like uh, I'm sort of like scaling back in terms of like the question before the last one is uh, the concept of video corpus death. <laughs> Explain a little bit of what that is. And tell me, like, can you be resurrected from it? Can a video be resurrected from it? It certainly can. Um, and the way you go about doing that is pushing people to that particular video, right? Mm -hmm. Like YouTube is constantly, for lack of a better term, re-indexing your video, right? What they're doing is they're just taking every impression of that video into account and feeding that back into the machine. So 100%, right? And the way you do that is through end screens, playlisting, links in descriptions, links in pinned comments, if you're not a kid's channel, mm -hmm. um, you know, updating the title, updating the thumbnail, because those have a direct impact on click-through rate. So you certainly yeah. can. My question would be like, do you want to? Right? So <laughs> yeah, like, you're right. <laughs> for evergreen content, sure, right? Um, yeah. The the easiest thing to do is just change the title and thumbnail. Like if it's still mm -hmm. getting impressions, but it has a low click-through rate, it's not getting very many impressions, changing the title and thumbnail and improving the click-through rate, which hopefully that does, right? You can... Uh, change the metrics around it, the most important one being click-through rate, and maybe that gets that video more and more impressions. But the question about, like, do you really want to is, like, is the time investment in getting a video going from, like, 10 views a day to 100 views a day worth it overall? And, yeah, if you can 10x a video, sure, but what if it goes from 10 to 12, right? Yeah. Now it's a 20% increase, which isn't small, but, like, basically you're talking about 700 more views a year, right? If you made uh, 70 cents, is your time that it took to do it, you know, worth that 70 cents? Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's, it's those things you want to weigh. Sometimes it's better just to go, oh, that didn't work. What can I do from a programming strategy and from a sales pitch strategy? Because every video you create is a sales pitch, right? Yep. From a sales pitch strategy moving forward to learn from that and make my next video better. Mm. Yeah. It's a interesting conversation. I 
has just had recently where a client was, we were just sort of riffing back and forth. It's like, should we promote a, a video that failed or should we promote like the, the best video on the channel? And I was like, you know, there's a part of me that wants to give, you know, I'm, I'm always rooting for the, for the, you know, the loser, <laughs> not the loser, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, you know, the, the little guy. So I want to help the, con- the, the old content. But then at the end of the day, like the, the champion content is what's driving the long views and people coming back and discovery. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense to sort of give that one a TLC and, and just keep using that one as your champion for the channel. So it's, you have to take a lot into consideration to do that. For sure. When it comes to channels themselves, I've always been uh, battling back and forth with clients, producers, all that sort of stuff in terms of like creating a channel that's like just focused on one thing versus a channel that's built like a network a little bit with a bunch of shows, a bunch of different properties. And I've always been of the mindset of like, it needs to be a single Fa- uh, single the way you you describe it as single value proposition channel sort of like uh you know if you want to make a channel about woodworking don't talk about cars like you know type of situation so but you know at the same time it feels like youtube sometimes changes that you know or uh, sometimes certain channels are able to get away with multiple type of content do you think that's still the case do should we still be focusing on a single value proposition channel uh, I absolutely think so. If you want to get maximum view efficiency, right? Yep. There can certainly be business reasons that you're willing to sacrifice viewership to have everything in one place for one reason or another. Um, but generally speaking, we know that the vast majority of recommendations are based on a user's watch history. And YouTube doesn't understand the difference between series A, B, and C on a single channel. They just see videos from channel XYZ. And if a user comes to YouTube and sees, you know, a video from series B and series C, but only wants to watch series A, they don't click on those videos. YouTube becomes less likely to serve them your next video that comes out, whether it's series A, B, or C or not. Mm-hmm. Now, what we've definitely seen over the last year is that, you know, uh, a few underperforming videos is not going to like cause your channel to flow into a death spiral. And YouTube is a wonderful platform because it does have this long tail where, you know, people can go and find that sort of stuff and you can, you know, build up a large library uh, and have suggested videos in that library, drive that viewership. It just means that it takes longer, growth is less predictable. Videos that you really want to do well can greatly underperform because they were just put in front of the wrong people. Yeah. So we certainly recommend sticking with a single value proposition. That value proposition is going to be somewhat unique to each channel, but there's basically like four kind of core reasons we believe people watch content, right? It's they're interested in the topic, right? And most utility channels are live in this space. Right. And you're going to get unpredictable viewership um, because some people just won't be interested in the topic. For example, there are people in Little Monsters audience that really just want to see like analytics deep dives and aren't going to click on like thumbnail strategies. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and vice versa, where if I put up a video that was like a deep dive in a musician's analytics, right, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm not interested in what it looks like for a musician because I am not a musician. Mm-hmm. 
then it's the style of the video. And there's very, very few channels that have such amazing, unique style that people watch just for that style. You know, uh, MKBHD is certainly an exception to that, or is the mm -hmm. example of why someone might watch for the style, right? His mm -hmm. videos are absolutely stunning and beautiful, which means that you don't necessarily care if he's talking about the iPhone or a Samsung phone. If, you know, you're, you know, a user of a different type of phone, you can still watch that video and really enjoy it for the style. And also for the third reason, which is the personality, yeah. right? MKBHD, I don't want to detract from this, is an awesome personality and entertainer, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of YouTube channels that people just watch for the personality, right? Uh, another example is like David Dobrik, right? Mm -hmm. David Dobrik has a very kind of common style, right? It's like the handheld frantic style, um, right? Uh, his topics are all over the map, right? So people aren't there for the topic of the video, but he's such a massively huge personality that he's super fun to watch. And then there's other really interesting personalities on there too. Yep. And then he does content in a whole bunch of different formats because he knows people are there for him and yep. the personality. Uh, and the formats is kind of the fourth thing, right? Where people will choose to watch a video because they really love the format. For example, React, right? There aren't regular personalities on the react channel you know the style is a lockdown you know two camera yeah. like there's nothing magical about the style right people watch it because they love that format yeah and so like that's the way we look at it and the way what we try to do from an analytics perspective is to determine like why is the audience watching this and how can you make fresh and unique content uh, that still serves the audience on those kind of four reasons as to why they might watch, right? Is it your personality? Mm -hmm. Great. Well, then your value proposition in every video is that they're hanging out with you and you can make content in a whole bunch of different styles and formats mm -hmm. and people are still going to watch because they're there for you. Is it topic? Great. Here's the topics you need to focus on in order to get the most viewership for your channel and so on and so forth. Yeah. What I find often myself in situations is because i work with a lot of tv content owners is that they'll come at me and we have like all these shows that were x canceled or just have three seasons and you know at first i'm i come into a situation where it's like well we can't make a, a, a channel just based on the show first off it's offline and yes it's got some nostalgia but once we're done with the season we're done with the channel so i'm forced to sort of create a network within a within YouTube. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I've had mixed success, but as you said, like the growth is much slower than a single value proposition channel on that side of things. Absolutely. I'm going to throw you a curveball because, you know, we have, we went through these uh, questions together, but um, are there any creators out there that you think are driving things forward? that are sort of like, a, you know, just breaking the, the standard out there that, or just they really impress you these days. Um, oh. <laughs> doesn't have to be a new person. It's just somebody who's still there and just like, oh, every video you're just looking forward to. Well, I get asked this question from time to time and I always kind of go back to the answer of like, I don't really watch YouTube for entertainment purposes, mm. right? So, you know, I'm 36. I got two kids, run a company. I have very, very limited free time. One of the things I really tend to not want to do when I have free time is make choices. <laughs> You're right. Right? And like, that's yep. what you have to do on YouTube. Yep. You got to make a choice like every 10 minutes, mm -hmm. right? Really, you got to make a choice every second. Do I keep watching this video or do I click on something else? 
right? So like, I don't really watch it for entertainment. I watch it more from like a study perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that there's a lot where I'm like, Ooh, this is so fresh and unique in no small part because of the taxonomy that I wrote. Yeah. Right. Where like, I'm now looking at YouTube videos in the same way that I, I used to look at films, right? I was a film mm-hmm. student in college mm-hmm. and um, any film student will tell you, like, once you take a few film courses, it basically just ruins film for you. Right? <laughs> You're just like, the magic is gone. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like, okay. Right. It took me, you know, six, seven years of not being, you know, a film student in the film industry to really be able to enjoy a film again. Right. Or enjoy it from that perspective of like, oh, I see what they did there. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's an influence from this where it becomes fun again and not mm-hmm. like, Oh God, I'm analyzing again. Like, you know, kind of thing. It's funny. I have the same thing when it comes to TV shows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Oh, here's the procedure. Okay. Yeah. yeah there's the bad guy. Okay. <laughs> yep. You're going to, hero's going to come through again. Okay, great. Got it. Um, and so like when, when I'm relaxing, it's like, I want to throw on, you know, parks and rec or 30 rock or the office, just have some background noise, read Twitter, that kind of thing. I think there are some white spaces where I would love to see stuff happen in digital video that it's like, you know, everyone's kind of just honing in on like, okay, here's what works. Let's do more of what works and just subtly adjust and tweak that aspect of things. Um, what I would say is I really love the content coming out of Jubilee. I love the content coming out of cut. I think they do a really interesting job. Um, I think Buzzfeed was doing some really interesting stuff for a while and now it's just like rinse and repeat over there. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, nah, not really in no small part because I kind of ruined it for myself. Um, you know, so, so to the point where it's like things used to be like, Whoa, what are they doing? This is so cool. It's so fresh and unique. And now it's like, Oh no, that's just a reaction commentary video with the challenge mixed in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, hold on. I've got one. Okay. Chad and V uh, Quaint. Chad Wildclay and V Quaint. Oh, never heard of them. So they do um, Spy Ninjas, right? And they were one of the first, if not the first channel to do like the hacker stuff, right? Um, Where essentially what they figured out was how to make a scripted narrative web series for YouTube and actually have it be successful. Whoa. Right. And it's, it's brilliant from my perspective because no one has really figured out how to do that in a meaningful, consistent, ongoing way, I think until they came along. Um, and so what they're doing on their channel is, absolutely phenomenal because just no one had done that before. Like, you know how many web series have been created? My God. Right? People were just like, Oh God, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, there's a reason they make, you know, hundreds of TV pilots, maybe a dozen make it to air. And if you're lucky, you get one each year that goes to three seasons or more. Right. Mm-hmm. These are the most competent, successful people making this stuff in the industry with, million dollar budgets on a per episode basis and most of them fail right yep if you apply that to like web series it's like what chance do you have to entertaining someone <laughs> you know for 22 <laughs> minutes when that's what you're going up against right mm-hmm. and that's the success rate of what you're going up against right it's just it's yep. very very difficult and so like chad and v have done just like 
remarkable with doing something that basically no one else has ever done and have basically shown all digital creators, here's how you make a narrative web series successful on YouTube. And I think there's a lot of lessons in there that you could learn uh, if that's your bag and what you want to do. That's amazing. Like I, I, for one, had given up on that idea. I've worked with a couple of like web series producers, and the only reason they're sustainable is because they're branded web series, and yep. you know that's literally it. And once the brand's out, you're done. It's usually after one or two seasons, and you know. So, yeah, it's it's fat, great to hear that somebody's figured it out, and they're buying fifty percent of their views to deliver on the game. Exactly, yeah. exactly, all that sort of stuff. I, for one, like I always like to mention stuff like um, L Mills in in Ottawa, who uh, was highly recommended from Casey Neistat like a couple years ago, and just her style of filming, it's it's still you know it's still a day in the life, but like the way she tells stories is just amazing she burnt herself out a bit because she, she worked so hard on her the way she films and the way she you know f- i couldn't believe that it was like a one person team doing that like that's how well her her content was for me and uh, i'm still big fan of like opening doors to places that for most of us feels mundane or we just is is complete mystery again another canadian creator that i want to sort of highlight that i haven't really highlighted is jeff hk which is a uh, creator who lives in a he, he his career is a, he works in a shipping container and he brings in that that perspective right and for me and i'll give you a little bit of my insight like i'm i'm an introvert and it's like the idea of being on a ship for weeks on end and not talking to anybody like is fascinating for me <laughs> so like, like I love that stuff, and you know he he again like you know t- talk about the type of content that like nobody no television production company would ever want to make. Like he's you know killing it, and you know a couple of his videos went quasi viral with a couple million views. And anyways, I, I always love that that type of stuff. It's not really an evolution. I would say L Mills is sort of like the, the just the way she, she the production level that she would put behind her stuff. I was like, if one kid can do this, like, and she's showing how big production companies are you know can't do this on on this platform that to me gave me hope uh, and also what shane dawson's been doing for the past year you know with his documentaries i'm like that's insane the fact that he's been able to evolve in this space and again it's different from the narrative side of things but i love the fact that it just keeps surprising me yeah no he's um i mean he's a og 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 yeah exactly um, right yeah um and having him reinvent himself so many times i think like is really great example to other YouTubers of like how you have to evolve, right? Like no yeah. show runs forever, right? Like yep. finding a Simpsons or, you know, a late night show is uh, real, real, real difficult. Yes. And so like reinventing yourself and staying up with the times and with the audience on the platform, Shane has done a, a master class in that for sure. Yeah, and it actually goes back to a rant that I had this week on on Twitter about how community and how these channels, these OG channels, seem to have forgotten community. And this is uh, almost a tangent here, but it's Shane Dawson. The fact that Shane Dawson OG and he can just keep going. And I was looking at a specific channel the other day that's a channel about extreme food, fast food food that might be start with Epic um, that has almost 10 million subscribers and struggles to hit a hundred thousand per view per, per, per video. And it's like, 
Jesus, this hasn't evolved in like 10 years. And yeah. uh, it's just amazing to see how some of them just understand it. They just keep evolving and others get stuck in a format that they just don't want to break because they're scared, you know? So, yeah. and I didn't know Canadians were allowed to badmouth each other. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, I did not specify anybody. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no one's going to have any idea. Uh, all right. So let's, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Many platforms out there that have come and gone. There's new ones every day. TikTok's the, the, the talk of the town these days, even though I highly doubt the, um, what, what, why do you think YouTube just keeps standing the test of time? Like it's, it, I'm surprised myself actually. Yeah. Um, well, I think in no small part because they have the backing of like the largest or second largest company in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's helpful helps. when your parent company is a printing press of money and is like, "Oh, you lost a billion dollars this year. That's cool. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. Um, so that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they very strategically um, have always geared everything towards the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything else flows from the audience, and by ensuring that people spend more and more time on it. Um, that's how they've managed to succeed and to grow. You know, they have an amazing monetization platform and with all of its faults, it's still, you know, the platform that for the longest time has enabled people to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Right. So people invest their time in it and building value for the platform. And, you know, I've said this many times and I don't mean it as a bad thing. I mean, it as a good thing. YouTube is the best drug dealer in the world, right? <laughs> their, their entire goal is to, you know, give you the first one free. So you come back again and again and again, and you spend longer and longer and longer, right? They've, you know, been extremely successful in doing that based on their content recommendations and, and how they program the site. And yeah, there've been pitfalls along the way, but you know, they've been able to, to weather that, you know, it's, uh, it's a beast, right? Like yep. it's, it's going to be a Herculean task to chip away at, at what they've been able to do and how they've been able to brand themselves. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot going on there that, um, other people have a very, very hard time competing with in, in no small part, because like, you know, how are you going to compete with free basically when the cost to serve video content right? And to actually make good recommendations of people is astronomical, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's tough. It's going to be real, real, real tough. Yeah. I think the advantage here is the fact that, um, old content never dies on a platform. Right. And, you know, again, whenever, you know, we're looking, we're talking about Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, it's sort of like the, these platforms and LinkedIn, which was a recent episode. It's like when, when your content disappears after a day, like what's the, the long-term value of building an audience there? Um, yes, there's the marketing perspective, but you know, anybody that's managed a channel sees how valuable sometimes content that you uploaded five years ago ends up being, you know, a winner for you. And what platform does that other than Google search, right? And it's the same company. So mm, yeah. go figure. Yeah. Awesome. Matt, tell people uh, where they can uh, reach out to you. Yeah. Uh, well, you can certainly go to our website, uh, littlemonstermediaco.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Lil Monster MC, L I L Monster MC. 
Um, and of course, you can find a library of videos all on how to build your YouTube audience on our YouTube channel, which is just uh, Little Monster Media Co. I will uh, add all the links in the show notes. Uh, thank you very much, Matt, for joining me. This was an awesome conversation that I feel like I could we could go on for a couple more hours, but we'll <laughs> go back. And also, big congratulations on becoming a new dad. That's an amazing, an amazing feat that I'm very, uh, you know, envious. I won't say envious, but also like in awe of. That's the word. That's the word that I'm looking for. I'm more of a of a dog of of, of a fur daddy than a real daddy. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome have a, have a good one have a good holidays thank you thank you for having me I appreciate it thank you Matt that was amazing Tom what did you think yeah really really interesting so many things that I'm just like listening like yeah yeah absolutely 100% agree and there are some things that me and Matt don't always 100% agree on in terms of strategy but that's the same with me and any other person that's teaching YouTube and the same between you know all of us there's all you know we all teach different slightly different ways but kind of uh picking out a few things that really stood up to me that I was really like yeah that's I totally agree like his prediction that the kind of rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer so media companies doing better and better and the kind of smaller independent YouTuber being kind of marginalized. That really kind of stood out for me. His recommendations that channels should only be like single interest channels. This is what I teach people week in and week out clients that are doing like a million things for a million different people where it should be like YouTube loves subject matter experts. Just choose one single thing and talk about it every single week. People definitely don't take enough notice of that. Uh, you know, I'll push back on that one. The only thing that I, the caveat on that one is that I think also content needs to evolve. Oh yeah. So it's not, that's not to say within that certain niche, you can't talk about different sub subtopics and use different formats. And it doesn't mean that you can't like do out how to videos without being yeah. entertaining. All of the content on the channel needs to come from like the same universe, you know, Yeah. you can't have be like doing a cooking video one day and then a movie review the next day. And then, Mm-hmm. a vlog from your trip to Disneyland the next day that just doesn't work but you'd be surprised yep. how often that happens yep and then the main thing and uh huge congratulations for the uh, the Guillen family getting one bigger is that like him extremely busy have kids very little time to watch youtube videos as like uh, a, a sit back relaxed passive activity as a, as a hobby and it's not because like oh i see enough youtube all the time it's because man i'm busy and life's too short and <laughs> if i had a few more hours <laughs> in the day then maybe i can't even uh, imagine yeah 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 that's awesome all right thanks again matt for joining us that was a very real honor awesome as we close up i wanted to say obviously if you love the show give us a thumbs up on the old apple podcast app because that's literally the only one where you can do that and uh, if you are listening on any other app please subscribe if you haven't already if you're just discovering us matt probably shared us obviously uh tell tell your friends about us that would be great and we cannot say goodbye without saying one last thank you to our amazing sponsor TubeBuddy. and remember you can get that exclusive video insiders discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. thank you thank you speak to you soon Bye. I'll speak to you soon. That's, like, that's the end of a phone call. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. We'll be back in a few weeks. Later. Later.